Greetings and welcome to EHA Unplugged, the official podcast channel of the European Hematology Association, EHA. Hi, I'm Enrico Orsidi, um, scientific lead at the EHA Education, and I'm here today uh, to speak about new treatments in acute myeloid leukemia with Professor Parash Obias. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you very much, and thank you for the kind invitation. My name is Professor Parish Vyas. I work at the University of Oxford and Oxford University Hospitals, and I specialize on the treatment of acute myeloid leukemia and high-risk myelodysplasia. Very well. So today, today we are here exactly to speak about the AML. So treatment of AML seemed to be blocked for decades. Uh, to the same basic principles and drugs, including uh, RSC, anthracyclines, uh, for induction. Um, however, there have been a lot of advancements in the last uh, years, and we wanted to make an overview of these advancements, including targeted therapies and immunotherapies. So, targeted therapies, there have been several targeted therapeutics that have been approved in the last years for EML. But what are the main targets in ML? So really this has come because of a confluence of two strands of work. So really understanding the genomics of ML and also drug development. And they have allowed us to uh, really develop small molecule inhibitors. For example, inhibitors of the BLIT3 kinase that's recurrently mutated in between 35 and 20% of AML, inhibitors, small molecule inhibitors of the IDH mutant enzymes, IDH1 and IDH2, that collectively are in the order of 15 to 20% of AML patients. In addition to these, the development of BCL2 inhibitors, particularly venetoclax when combined with azacitidine, has allowed us to understand the importance of the apoptosis pathway as a target for acute myeloid leukemia. And finally, the use of new oral hypomethylating agents such as onureg. The mechanism of action of these drugs is complex and not fully understood, but they provide us an ability to combine these drugs with other agents for clinical benefit. Very well. So, if I understand, there are numbers of possible, let's say, ways we are investigating. Which of them are currently in the clinic? Sure. So, FLT3 inhibitors are in the clinic. In Europe, uh, gilteretinib has been licensed for use in relapsed refractory AML as a single agent. There are uh, FLT3 inhibitors that I think will soon um, um, Always for relapsed, or only for also uh, for the first line. is for relapsed refractory. Okay. Yeah, but there are inhibitors also in the frontline setting. So mitostorin has yeah. been licensed for use for some time, and I suspect it will soon be joined by quetiapatinib in the frontline setting. There are ongoing clinical trials looking at the comparison of mitostorin with uh, versus gilteritinib in the frontline setting and trials in the United States on the use of FLT3 inhibitors post-transplant that are the data for which will be presented here at EHA in this conference. In addition to these targeted inhibitors, there are targeted inhibitors for the IDH1 
and two mutant enzymes. These are licensed for use and in clinical practice in the United States. And I suspect very um, on the 4th of May, we had licensing of ivacidinib, the oral IDH1 inhibitor, when combined with azacitidine. Of course, venetoclax azacitidine is already in clinical use. So, if I understand well, the, the situation is we have for uh, we have a number of possibility of targeted therapy that are used in combination with classical chemotherapy. This also means that uh, I. I will need a very precise genetic characterization of the disease at the, at the, at the agnosis. Is this feasible yes. for an, such an acute disease? That's a great question. So last year, the European Leukemia Net published updated guidelines on the diagnosis and management of acute myeloid leukemia. And there, there are recommendations for the genetic and cytogenetic testing that needs to be done and the suggested turnaround times. This has led to um, a real thinking within many, many hospitals about reconfiguring services, yeah. diagnostic services, so. and the resources required for that. So for many AML patients, we can afford to wait up to a week or two weeks um, but for those individuals who have acute disease with high burden white count, we often cannot wait and we need to start treatment within 24, 48 hours. So there are challenges here. But as has been shown by the German group who did a very large study, for many AML patients, you can afford to wait up to a week for uh, these genetic and cytogenetic tests. That's good. And, uh about, um, in, re in reality, uh, AML is very frequent in older people. So what is the situation of treatment for people that are over 65, let's say? So if we can divide the patient population into those above 75, and those under 75 who have coexisting comorbidities. That's good that the range is 75, <laughs> not 65. This is good news for me. <laughs> So here, venetoclax and azacitidine has really improved the outcome for these patients. So the median survival in the VIALE trial was 14.7 months, which has increased uh, the survival from azacitidine alone. Um, and then in those individuals who are between 60 and say 70, who are really fit, and for whom we're thinking about a curative option, Increasingly, these individuals are being considered for intensive chemotherapy followed by allograft. And I think one of the um, other really important uh, kind of movements, if you will, in our patient population is understanding the importance of what we call prehabilitation. So as patients have treatment, they really need physical exercise, they need support with their emotional well-being and these really improve the performance status of patients who are going through this arduous treatment. This is very interesting. Um, and to complete with the other side, let's say, or the new treatment that is immunotherapy. Uh, at the moment there are two modalities that are very uh, let's say, um, fancy, that are the B-specific antibodies and the CAR-T. There is any 
possibility of using them in AML? There are challenges? Sure, there are challenges. So if I can just wind back a bit. Yeah. There is one immunotherapy already in clinic and license, that's Mylotar, right. which is the yeah. anti-CD33 right. antibody to, drug yeah. conjugate. There are other antibody drug conjugates that are being yeah. um, developed, so you will right. know the anti-CD123 uh, drug conjugates that are important for plastic dendritic cell neoplasm, um, and they're also being developed for acute myeloid leukemia. I think there'll be many more um, ADCs, or antibody drug conjugates, coming through. Yeah. Turning to your specific question around bispecifics and CARs, here we have a real challenge, and the challenge is so stark compared to myeloma and lymphoma, where our colleagues in these, in treating these conditions, have really wonderful target antigens like CD19, BCMA, GPCR5D, that are transforming the care of these patients, either using bispecifics or CARs. We have challenges because many of the cell surface antigens on myeloid cells are expressed on normal myeloid cells. So myelosuppression is a really big toxicity. That said, as Marion uh, Subclaver outlined at EHA in the educational session, which I really encourage folks to uh, go and see on demand, there are intensive efforts to try and solve the problems of targeting myeloid malignancy. And we will get something in the, the well, next years, we hope. I think, I think it'll take time. I think progress will be slow, sadly. Um, but there are real innovations in terms of using multiple antigens to target, using conditional or inducible CARs or bispecifics, and finally really thinking about the tumor microenvironment uh, to additionally modulate for efficacy and reduce toxicity. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure, Erica. <laughs> Thank you.